0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Pete Payne, pastor at Grace Church. We are going to be finishing up basically the last extended teaching that Jesus does with his Disciples. There are only 11 left now before he goes to the cross. Very significant portion of Scripture. Obviously, all of Scripture is significant, but when we're hearing the last words of Jesus before he goes to the cross, we want to pay particular attention. Before we get to that, though, I'm going to tell you about Adolf Hitler. How's that for a contrast? I read a book called The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. It's a book that's bigger than my study Bible written by a man who was in Berlin for most of World War II and before World War II. Uh, And he writes this about Hitler, uh, quoting from some of his speeches in the mid-1930s. Germany, Hitler proclaimed, had not the slightest thought of conquering other people's Our racial theory regards every war for the subjection and domination of an alien people as proceeding, which sooner or later changes and weakens the victor internally and eventually brings about his defeat. Kind of a prophetic statement, actually. No, Nazi Germany wants peace because of its fundamental convictions, and it wants peace also owing to the realization of the simple primitive fact that no war would be likely, essentially, to alter the distress in Europe. The principal effect of every war is to destroy the flower of the nation. Hitler was an evil genius. I I sometimes fear that if he were in our country right now, a lot of people would vote for him. He took a absolutely devastated economy after World War I, subjected people, and in a very short period of time, had 100% employment. He was the uh, largest, most powerful army on the planet Earth. Uh, He was a genius. Unfortunately, he was an evil genius. He says, Germany needs peace and desires peace. Germany has solemnly recognized and guaranteed France her frontiers as determined after the Tsar plebiscite. We thereby finally renounced all claims to Alsace-Lorraine, a land for which we have fought two great wars. Without taking the past into account, Germany has concluded a non-aggression pact with Poland. We shall adhere to it unconditionally. We recognize Poland as the home of a great and nationally conscious people. Germany neither intends nor wishes to interfere in the internal affairs of Austria, to annex Austria or to conclude an Anschluss. All of these promises were broken. Here's what the Times of London said about the speech. The speech turns out to be reasonable, straightforward, and comprehensive No one who reads it with an impartial mind can doubt that the points of policy laid down by Hitler may fairly constitute the basis of a complete settlement with Germany, a free, equal, and strong Germany instead of a prostrate Germany upon whom peace was imposed 16 years ago. Listen to this. In the London Times, it is to be hoped that the speech will be taken everywhere as a sincere and well-considered utterance, meaning precisely what it says." All of those promises were broken in short order. And today, as opposed to the rise and fall of the Third Reich, which chronicles broken promises, we want to look at another book that chronicles promises kept, fulfilled promises. And we're going to look at that as Jesus concludes his remarks to his disciples in John 16. We're going to start with verse 12. Now, he's been talking with them. He was in the upper room with them. He instituted the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet. His soul became troubled. He sent Judas out. So there are 11 of them left. He then began to tell them that it was time for him to leave. They became sorrowful. And we've been talking about this. It's part of this discourse which began in John 13, was held in the upper room. Then they left. And they were probably walking along. At some point, he probably saw a vine and branches and began to use that as an object lesson, as we've heard. And then, as they're walking, ultimately, they get to the garden. And we know what happens in the garden from there. So he's concluding this talk, which began in the upper room and ended at the garden right here. So listen carefully. Verse 12, I still, you 11, have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said to you, He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see Me no longer and again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while, and you'll not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you, 11, will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked of nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father." In that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to watch. Through the words that the Spirit gave to John to write down, we were privileged to sit and listen to your last interaction with the disciples before you went to the garden, and from the garden to the trial, from the trial to the cross, from the cross to the grave, From the grave, Lord, you were resurrected and you saw them again. And they've recorded all of these things for us. So we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Spirit who inspired every word that's written in that great book, that collection of promises kept. And Father, I ask you right now just to fill us with that same Spirit, the Spirit of God, Spirit of Jesus, and enable us to understand what you're saying and how it affects us today and how we should respond and be doers and not simply hearers of your word. Help us, Lord. Help us to listen intently to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John wants us to see here that promises kept, promises kept, we're going to look at a couple of different kinds of promises in this passage, in this section. Promises kept empower us to fight and to wait for promises that are yet to be fulfilled. So we're going to look at promises kept. We're going to look at promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Promises kept empower us to fight and to wait for promises that are yet to be fulfilled. I want you to note as we get started here that John in this passage is encouraging us to look at the whole teaching, this entire section, as he goes and he has the disciples ask this question, what does he mean when he says a little while and then a little while? What is he talking about? And they also add this, and what does he mean by I'm going to the Father? Now that bumps us back to John 14. So in this section, John is asking us to review, the disciples have this entire uh, trans, transaction with Jesus Everything he has just said to them In the last whatever it's been couple of hours That's recorded here in John 13, 14, 15, 16 Is in view right now As we look at this A little while, a little while What does he mean? We don't understand what he's talking about I'm going to the Father What is all this stuff? What is he talking about? Jesus knows He's hearing them probably interact And he says "Let me Let me confuse you a little bit more Right now with what I'm going to talk to you he wants them to see promises kept, 11 will empower you to fight and to wait for the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. What are the promises kept? Let's look at those quickly. So uh, these are promises that, as we sit here today, not on that day, but as we sit here today on this side of the cross, on this side of Pentecost. These are promises that are absolutely, completely kept. They have been fulfilled. They will never be repeated. Important that we know this, because promises kept empower us for the other kinds of promises. Listen to what the promises kept are. First one is the Gospel. Jesus tells us right here about the Gospel. And here's the shorthand in this particular section. If you look at verse 16, in chapter 16, He says, "...a little while, and you'll see Me no longer." Speaking of His death... He's come to live with them. He's dwelled with them. He's taught them. They've seen miracles performed. They've come to understand that he came from God somehow. They don't really get it, what that looks like, what that means yet. But they understand nobody could do these things unless he was a man of God. Is he a prophet? Is he? They don't know what he is yet. At one point, Peter confessed, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But then he went on to follow that with a very mistaken notion of what Jesus' mission was. So they don't get it yet. And they're, they're confessing that. We don't understand. What's he talking about, little while, little while? Jesus is saying, in a little while, I'm going to die. In a little while, I'm going to be resurrected. That's what the little while is. It's It's shorthand for the gospel. So the first promise that we now know today because of this, that's been kept, is the gospel. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived a perfect life. He died, went into the tomb, and for a little while they didn't see him, and then he came back. So after that little while, they saw him again. That's the gospel. That's the most important promise kept in the history of the universe. We have to have that one right, or nothing else that follows makes any sense at all. The gospel is a promise totally kept. They didn't know that at the time. We know that now because they came to know that promise kept promise kept the next promise i will send the spirit not if the spirit comes but when the spirit comes as you look back over these teachings of the last numbers of weeks from john 13 right here to john 16 multiple times this is how john teaches How john writes over and over again he repeats things he adds a little bit each time that he goes back through it just exactly the way jesus was talking i'm going to send the spirit the Spirit will come. When the Spirit comes, He's going to instruct you. There's multiple things. I want to encourage you, before we get into John 17 next week, every one of you, take this chunk of Scripture, John 13 through John 16, read it several times. Read it as if you were sitting there with the disciples or walking with them on the way to the garden, and listen carefully to what Jesus says, to what John records with such detail. Very important. Before we get into his prayer this beautiful prayer in John 17, understand what the disciples were trying to grasp. They were fighting for understanding and they couldn't get it. As they said, we don't even understand what he's talking about. Because all the promises at that time had not been kept. Now they have. So read that thinking on this side of the cross what what they needed to know, how they needed to walk through that. So as you read back through that, you'll see multiple times He promises, as we've heard, the Spirit will come. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Spirit's not going to come. You'll be better off. Greater works are you going to do than I've done. Peter, you don't know this yet, but you're going to preach a message. Everybody's going to leave me tonight. You're going to preach a message and 3,000 people are going to be saved in one after one sermon. Greater works. They don't understand it. We do. We understand it. But the promise is kept. The Spirit has come. The gospel is finished. Everything Jesus came to do is finished. That promise has been totally, absolutely, 100% kept. You can bank on it. The Spirit at Pentecost was poured out on the early church. And they began to speak in other languages. And people heard them speaking in their own language and declaring the glory of God and talking about the Gospel. And everything that Jesus said about the Spirit, what He was going to do, came to pass. It happened in history, at a point in history. That promise has been kept. The One who keeps all of His promises kept that one. The Gospel was completed, the Spirit was poured out, and the church was transformed in that time. Those are are two of the promises. The third one is this. When the Spirit comes, He will... Teach you everything. He'll remind you, 11, and those who are associated with you, and you're going to write this book. And it won't be like the rise and fall of the Third Reich, which chronicled all the lies, all the broken promises. It'll be a book full of promises kept. It's going to be all about promises kept. You can bank on this. The gospel, the foundation stone of all of history, is going to be in here. It's kept, it's done. The Spirit has been poured out and is available for every believer. As a matter of fact, you cannot be a believer unless you're filled with the Spirit and and regenerated, born again by the Spirit. Nicodemus, don't you know these things? And then the Word came. And as the canon was completed and as God superintended that whole thing, we have the Word of God. The book of promises kept and promises yet to be fulfilled right in our laps. As we've talked about. So those are three promises that have been kept. Critical to know that. Listen to a couple of other ones that are a little bit more personal. They're not as broadly universal. He says to the eleven, and he wants us to know this because they wrote it down. Tonight, this hour has come. You're going to be scattered. You think you get this? You don't get this. You think you believe? Do you really believe? Here's what's going to happen in the next hour. You're going to all be scattered. Remember what I told Peter up in the upper room? Peter, you're not going to follow me to the cross. You're not going to die with me. You're going to deny me three times. To the rest of you, you're all going to run away, leaving me alone, but not alone because the Father's with me. That promise was kept. Here we have somebody who speaks truth. He speaks the truth and it's written down. We can count on His promises. This is important that we know this. And then one other promise he makes in this passage. In this world, you may have trouble. It's not what he says. In this world, you eleven, you will have trouble. Remember what he had said in last week's message he's talking about? There's going to come a time when people who kill you will think they're doing the will of God. There's going to come a day when people who throw you out of the synagogues will think that they're pleasing God with that. You're going to have trouble in this world. And then because they write to us as well, we can take that promise. It's our favorite promise in the Bible. In this world, you will have trouble. I ask in the first service, we'll see if anybody here, is there anybody in this room who has not had trouble in your life? Raise your hand. Not a one. Same thing in the first service. Amazing. A promise has been kept. In this world, you will have trouble. Again, he spoke the truth. The truth comes to pass. We see it in the lives of the disciples. All of them, save one, according to church history, were martyred. And John had to live a long life with many struggles where he was persecuted. They all experienced great troubles. We've seen it in the history of the church. There are martyrs who have been martyred, thousands of them every year for their faith. They got to meet Jesus. They saw the fulfillment of all of His promises in their life. But we're still here. And so there are promises still hanging in the air that have not been fulfilled. Why is it important that we know that Jesus speaks the truth and that everything He said would come about absolutely has come about absolutely? Because promises kept empower us to fight and to wait for the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. And what are those? Let's look at the passage again. At this entire section of Scripture that He's pointing us to. These are, and I want to be really careful here, these are these are promises that are still in process. Now, for Christians who have died, who have gone to meet the Lord, who are present with the Lord right now, in some mystery we don't understand that their bodies are going to be joined to them at some point in the future, we don't understand all that. For many of them, these promises have all been fulfilled. All they're awaiting is the final day. But for us, if you're still here, there are still good works prepared today and tomorrow and however long the Lord keeps you here for you to do. There is still fruit to be born. And so because of that, there are still promises that are left unfulfilled. And these promises seem to have some conditions with them. Now listen carefully as we walk through this. Somehow in these promises, unlike the early promises that are absolutely done, the gospel, the Spirit... The word, trouble. All of those are absolutes. No question. We, we're not asked to participate. Here, there are some conditions that we meet somehow in the mystery of God in the fulfilling of these promises. Look at them. Works. Greater works. Let's look at John 14:12. Just If you've got your Bible, flip, flip back. If you don't, I'll read this. But here's what he had said. Again, this is all part of the same walk and talk. And listen. Truly, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, 11, and they write down for us to hear, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Okay, That's a promise. But there's a condition. Whoever believes in me. So somehow faith becomes a condition of this promise being fulfilled. Our faith was not required to send Jesus to the cross. Our sin sent Jesus to the cross. But we didn't have to have faith to see the gospel fulfilled. And that promise kept. But this promise, he who believes in me, greater works, Peter, are you going to do in a few days from now when you preach that message than I've done in my entire ministry here. 3,000 people are going to come in one day as you preach. Even though tonight, you're going to deny me three times. Greater works. He who believes in me. So there's a there's a condition there. What about this? Multiple times in this passage. Go back and read it. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer. We love this verse. It's in every little bread box that sits on your table of Bible verses that's out there for you to memorize, out of context. Whatever you ask in prayer believing, it will be done for you. We love that. It sounds wonderful, but it's not what he's talking about. Because there's a context here and there's a condition. Whatever you ask, the condition, as we read through this passage, is obedience, is abiding in Jesus, is dwelling in the presence of Jesus, is having His Word dwell in us richly, is praying, and every time you read through this, let's read a couple of them, Uh, 14, 13, and 14. Here's the first of them. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What's the context? He had just said, greater works will you do than I've done. So what's the prayer about? It's in the context of praying that good works will be done. That praying that rock the box, we'll have 500 teens and and college students here next year. And that they'll hear the gospel. And that Rob will be next to Peter in his effectiveness in terms of preaching. That's, those are good works that are prepared to do. Caring for the poor. Caring for the widows and orphans. caring All the good works that are prepared. That's what He's saying pray for. Ask in faith, believing. Greater works will you do. That's the context of that passage on prayer. So it's a, there's a condition there. Believe and pray. Think about the good works that I've prepared for you to do and pray. Pray along these lines. Look at uh, John 15, 7 over in the next chapter. If, here's another if, all these little pesky ifs are in here. It don't, we don't get to sit here and just wait till Jesus comes. We have to fight. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. There's a condition. That promise, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you, is a great promise, but it comes with a condition. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask. So there's a condition of abiding, of having the Word of God richly Dwell in you, Paul would say later to the Colossians. Let's look at 15, 16, and 17. Another verse on prayer. You didn't choose Me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. What's the context there? Fruitfulness. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control, Paul will tell us. And many other things are the fruit of the Spirit. In this chapter, he's talked about us being the branches and he's the vine. And somehow we're going to be bearing fruit. So when he says ask, he's saying it in the context of doing good works and of bearing fruit. Every time he says, whatever you ask in faith, believing, believe, trust, abide, and I will answer your prayers. Not prayers that are disconnected from my mission. Not prayers that are disconnected from anything that I want to do. Not prayers that are disconnected from me, but prayers that come out of rich abiding in the Word of God. Out of, out of being steeped in the Word of God. Out of, out of understanding what the Gospel means. And understanding what the Spirit's role is. And understanding the Word. Those prayers are going to be answered. There's a promise, but there's condition. Abide. Believe. We see fruit. And you can see this through this entire message. Jesus is talking about fruit. I'm the vine. You're the branches. It's to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Fruit is his, His goal. The goal of the Spirit coming is works and fruit, all of which point back to the promise keeper, Jesus, the one who keeps His Word. And He says then, that you may have peace. In verse 33 of chapter 16, look at this. This is very interesting. Leon Morris pointed something out that I want you all to see. As we read 1633, here's another conditional promise. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. So there's one of the absolute promises. You will have trouble. Here's a conditional promise. In me, you may have peace. It's not a promise that you're going to have peace. There's a condition of being in Him. And here's what Morris writes. This is a little bit wordy, so so bear with me. There are three contrasts in this verse. Listen carefully. In me is set over against in this world. In me, in this world. Second one is, you will have trouble and you may have peace. And the third one again is peace, or trouble, and peace. The second of these, meaning you will have trouble, you may have peace, doesn't, of course, mean that there's any doubt that those who are in Christ Jesus have peace. Rather, it points to the contrast between the life that all must lead. Every human being will have trouble. Even if he gets all the way through his life trouble-free, he's going to die. And if he dies without Jesus, he has the greatest trouble of all. So every human being will have trouble. It points. This verse points us to the contrast between the life that all must lead, a life in the world, and a life that all do not lead, a conditional, in Him. Not all will be in Him. All must live in the world and therefore will have trouble, but people may also live in Christ and when they do, they have peace. So there's something mysterious here. John is in no way teaching that Jesus came and did His duty, did, fulfilled the Gospel, fulfilled His promises, sent the Spirit out, and now He is just sitting back seeing if we're going to do all the ifs. That's not what He's teaching. If you read the rest of the New Testament, you will find very clearly that everything starts and ends with Him. But somehow in the mystery of God, all of these ifs, very troublesome words are here, and what they tell us to do is fight for these promises to be fulfilled in our life. If you abide in Me and My Word abides in you, what do you do with that? Do you shrink back and say, oh, well, His Word isn't abiding in Me? Or do you fight to make sure that the Word of God is abiding in you and you're abiding in it? Yes, you fight. You go read John Piper, get his fighter verses, and you fight because you want to be fruitful. You don't want to be Judas. Every branch in Me that bears no fruit will be cut off. Now, that's a troubling verse. That's, that's the most, one of the most terrifying verses in the Bible because listen to what he says there in John 15. Every branch in me that bears no fruit will be cut off and ultimately cast into the fire. Judas was a part of the fellowship. He was there. He was in Jesus. Problem was, Jesus was not in him. As we read in chapter 13, Satan entered judas but every branch that is in me will bear much fruit but there's a condition again fruitfulness requires abiding requires the life requires the fulfilled promises of god the kept promises of god the gospel the holy spirit coming and the word of god those things must be present we must be resting on those those must be our foundation or none of these other promises will come to pass we don't want to be fruitless branches it's not his will for us but we have to fight for these things what happens what happens if we don't meet the conditions if we look at our life we look at these two vines one that is full of fruitful branches and one over here that ultimately he says is going to be burned up and there's no fruit there's worldly fruit there's no fruit of the spirit what do we do if we don't meet the conditions? If we look at ourselves, we, we examine our life, we examine our heart, we say there's no fruit, I'm not joyful, I'm not uh, bear, I'm not doing good works, I haven't preached the message and three, have seen 3,000 people be saved, which is not a requirement, by the way. What happens if we don't meet these conditions? Listen to what Morris goes on to write about the disciples. And there's, there's such great hope here, listen carefully. "...when they," meaning the eleven, "...had all forsaken Jesus." So here, picture this. Here they are. They're getting. They're just probably stepping into the garden. They're just getting ready where Jesus is going to go pray and has the other Gospels tell us what His prayer was. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from Me, but not as I will, but You will be done. So he's He's done battle against the world. He said, I've overcome the world in this. He's now going to do battle against His own flesh. And He's going to do battle against the devil... So the world, the flesh, and the devil are going to be defeated on this night by Jesus, the keeper of promises. But as he's going, he says, guys, you don't get this. You don't understand yet. You can't understand. I just told you an hour is coming when I'm going to tell you these things plainly. And you think it's now. It's not now. The promises haven't been kept yet. The gospel's not been finished yet. The Holy Spirit's not been poured out yet. You do not get this. You can't. Even in that condition, listen to what he says. When they had all forsaken Jesus, the disciples, they might well feel so ashamed. You ever feel ashamed of what you've done? That they would remain uneasy whenever they thought of him. But, listen, he predicted their desertion in the very same moment that he said to them, I assure you, peace will be yours. He loved them For what they were, and despite their shortcomings, when in the future, after all the promises had been kept, they looked back on their desertion, they could reflect and write, as John did for us, that Jesus had predicted it, how He knew we were going to desert Him. And He still went to the cross. And in full knowledge that they would act this way, He had promised them peace, and He promises that to you as well. If you're stuck, as you heard that word this morning, if you're stuck if you're in misery, if you're, if you're resisting coming to God because you're afraid of what that interaction is going to be, hear this word, peace. Not as the world gives. The world will infallibly bring them trouble. That's its characteristic. But Jesus can bid them take heart. I've overcome the world. He had overcome the world. The perfect tense tense. In the original, denoting an abiding victory, not just for them, but for us as well. This statement, spoken as it is in the shadow of the cross, is audacious. The cross would seem to the outsider to be Jesus' total defeat. He sees it as His complete victory, and so do we. His victory over all that the world is and all that the world can do to Him. He goes to the cross not in fear or in gloom, but as a conqueror. He's conquered. He's completed the work that the Father gave him to do. He has taken our sin upon him and become sin for us. And as you heard this morning, there's this great exchange that's occurred. We have his righteousness. We're his children by faith in what he's done. That gospel message is done. It's completed. It is finished. He said, then he went further. He didn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Spirit. Into our hearts, and we sang this morning, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, I'm adopted. I'm not just left on my own to do this. I I must bear fruit, and I can't bear fruit, but the Spirit's power comes. The promises of God, the kept promises of God, empower me to see these other promises fulfilled in my life. I can be fruitful, I can go out and do greater works than Jesus did because He's gone to the Father and poured out the Spirit. The kept promises of God empower us to see these other promises fulfilled in our lives. And then as we're fighting, one final thing, which he mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, what are we waiting for? Remember what he said back in John 14? Let not your hearts be troubled. You're thinking horizontally here. Neither let them be afraid. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not true, I wouldn't tell you this. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I've done that, I'll be back. That's another absolute promise that we have nothing to do with that we can count on. Because we can count on this faithful one who's a promise keeper to keep that final promise. So as we fight, as we fight for fruit and as we fight for good works to be done, for this the things that glorify God in our life, We wait, we look, and as Peter said, we set our hope completely on that day. He's coming back, and He's bringing grace, and He's bringing rewards, and He's bringing well-done, good and faithful servant messages to all who have believed, all who have waited for Him, all who have fought and haven't fallen back. So what do we do with this right now as we're waiting? And I've told you this many times. Let me just read this. We fight. We fight to see all of the conditional, not yet promises fulfilled in each of our lives and in our corporate life together. Listen, the word says this each one of you should use, each one, every single person, whatever gift you've received to serve others, faithfully administering the grace of God, which comes in many, many different forms. Lord, give me a passion to be filled with fruit, to do these good works that you've called me to do. Show me my gifts. Pour out the Spirit. Let me meditate on the Gospel. Let me be filled with the Spirit. If you're a believer, the Spirit of God dwells in you. As we, as we read in Romans 8 this morning, if you're a believer, truly a believer, the Spirit of God already dwells in you. But the believers in the book of Acts were refilled and refilled and refilled, and they kept asking for more. And Paul told the Corinthian church, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The, the, the New Testament is just full of these admonitions. The Spirit's work within us is critical. So the Gospel, the Spirit, the Word, abiding, these finished promises of God, we fight with these things. We fight to abide in Him. We fight and we cry out for His presence to abide in us. If you abide in me and my Word abides in you, ask whatever you have, would like it have, and it'll be done for you. We pray with the power of the absolute promises of God, these finished promises of God, the Gospel, the Word, the power of the Spirit to be applied day after day, week after week to everyone. We want to be doers of the Word. And in order to do that, we're just like the disciples. Try to do it on your own, you don't get it. We need the Spirit's power to come. We need Him to come in power again and again. We pray to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit so that we can be effective in doing our part to build up the body of Christ. We cry out to be filled again and again, just as the early church was, so that we can bear fruit and so that we can finish the good works which His Word says have been prepared already in advance for us to do. There's good works this week. There are youth to invite to this concert. There's good works in your neighborhood. There are people that need help and care who have no idea who Jesus is. There's good works to be done in the community. Paul says, do do good to all people, especially to the household of God. There's people in this church who have needs, who need prayer, who need specific things, who need to have their house painted. There's all kinds of things. There's many, many gifts of the Spirit, but, but it's the Spirit who fills us to do these things. So here's the question. What was the difference, ultimately, between Judas, who was in Christ, he was attached, he was fellowship? But in the end, he was lopped off and didn't bear fruit. And the fruitful branches. They had heard the words together. They had come to know Jesus, that he had come from the Father. At least they knew that much. What was the difference? Remember what Jesus said to them? They said, Now we get it. We understand. You've come from God. We've heard these things. Now's the time that you're talking to us plainly. And Jesus is saying, I'm still not talking to you plainly. You still don't get it. You need the Spirit's power. And we see this little band of 11 who in just an hour are going to be scattered in fear. They're going to re- reject Jesus, deny Jesus, deny that they ever even knew Him, and, and emphasize that with the curse, the Word tells us. And then after Jesus comes back and they're filled with joy, He tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive power from on high. And the next thing we see is this band, which now is grown to 120 people who have been witnesses of the resurrection. And they're sitting in this upper room. What are they doing? They're going back through the Word. Read it. Read Acts 1. Read what they're doing. They're in the in the Old Testament saying, oh, it's necessary that we have to replace Judas because this psalm says this. We have to find another one to take his place. They're in the Word. They're saturated. And they're listening to the words of Jesus who said, wait, wait, you don't get it yet. And then the Spirit is poured out and they all speak with other tongues and they receive these gifts of the Spirit and people are empowered to be witnesses. And Peter goes out and preaches this sermon. And then just a couple chapters later, we see this same group being now persecuted because the Sanhedrin doesn't like what they're doing. Doesn't like that they're proclaiming Jesus as Lord. And so they call them in and they threaten them. And here's how they pray. They pray the kinds of prayers that I think Jesus is talking about in John 13, 14, 15, 16. Lord, consider their threats and grant us boldness to speak even more boldly in your name. What do they want? Did they want to be released from the threats? Did they want to be uh, have an easy life? No. They, they remembered the promise. In this world, you'll have trouble. People are going to throw you out of the temple. People are going to kill you. They remembered those promises and they remembered the other more important promises. Gospel, Spirit, Word of God. And they said, Lord, Here's how we pray. Consider their threats and give us more fruit and give us more boldness. And the place where they were was shaken, the scripture says. And as we said in the first service, not by the subwoofers in the concert next week, but it was shaken by the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We are no different than them. We understand the gospel better than they did at that at, at this point in their life before the cross. We have received the Spirit, those who are are sons of God, have received the Spirit of God, daughters of God, you've already received the Spirit, but they kept asking for more, and we need to keep asking for more. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.